1: Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, we have a great lineup today, a great group of guests. We're going to get right into that. Before I do that, I want to uh, uh, remind everyone that at exitcoachradio.com, you can do a lot of things. You can do a lot of good for your business. You can learn in our audio library where over 750 interviews from guests of all walks of life, uh, advisors, authors, thought leaders, etc have been archived into 12 different Topic File folders. So I, I urge you to go there from your smartphone, your tablet, um, and and learn while you exercise, while you drive, uh, exitcoachradio.com and the audio library. My first guest today is Ross Givens. He's been with us uh, a couple times before. And uh, Ross is a chief market analyst for the Wealth Empire and also a writer for that organization. And his service is called the 13F Insider and it tracks the trading activity of the top hedge fund managers in order to find um, the, those who are uh, creating high-conviction investment opportunities. He's a former broker, advisor, and educator in the financial markets for J.P. Morgan Chase and Regal Securities. He grew up in the Gulf co- Coast of Mobile, Alabama, and he bought his first stock at age 12, which was Microsoft. Not a bad first buy. Uh, he really wishes he held on to that one. We're going to talk to Ross about what's been going on in the markets, uh, what the outlook is for the upcoming future. So let's get right into it, Ross. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us again, and Happy New Year to you.
2: Hi, same to you, Bill. Always a pleasure to be on your show.
1: Uh, it's a pleasure to have you, Ross. It's always great to hear your insights. Um, you, uh, as as we say, you you write uh, and track uh, what the, the smart money is doing Um Tell us a little bit more about uh, Wealth Empire before we get into some of the thoughts for uh, 2015 wrap-up and 2016's outlook.
2: Sure. Well, you know, Wealth Empire was kind of created out of my experience investing. You now, as you mentioned, I worked for J.P. Morgan. I did a lot of personal money management. And what I found, you know, managing other people's duty, as you know very well – you have a fiduciary responsibility to protect and grow that money, and you know what I was finding: a lot of mutual funds and a lot of traditional investments were lagging their indexes. And so I started thinking, there's got to be a better way, and began saying, you know what? Why don't I track and follow what the best guys in the world are doing? So this is going to be, you know, your Warren Buffett and your Carl Icahn. And most people don't realize all their trades is public information. Now there's a there's anywhere from a week to maybe a couple months lag on that data, but you can see exactly what they're holding and what they're buying and what they're selling. So, you know, it just made perfect sense to me. and What I began doing is instead of searching through, you know, seven thousand publicly traded companies, you look at you know what's David Tepper, what's Warren Buffett, what's Carl Icahn, what are they holding, what are they buying. And that gives you a much smaller pool to fish out of, kind of like shooting fish out of a barrel instead of fishing in the ocean. So that's kind of the idea behind the company, what we try to do. And, again, we're just kind of scanning their portfolios and watching their buying and selling and looking for, as you mentioned, high-conviction ideas once they're putting large percentages of their multi-multi-million-billion-dollar portfolios into that so we can kind of piggyback and, and invest alongside of them.
1: It's a great idea, it really is. And it's uh it's there's a lot of great information that you can glean from that. But let's talk about uh how they, how did they do uh you know, it's always great to look in, in the rear view mirror and see, well, how did everybody do in uh, in the background of, uh looking mm-hmm. in the rear view mirror, how did they do in two thousand fifteen?
2: Well, it's funny you ask that question. 2015 was actually, and just by unfortunate coincidence, I guess, kind of one of the worst years for, as we call it, smart money uh, in quite some time. You know, the, the bulk of hedge funds and these top money managers underperformed the market, some by pretty wide margins. Um, now, you know, in my experience, when you look at a guy who's returned 20 25% a year, you know, for 30 years, there's going to be, you know, a bad year in this kind of. It's going to be a bad quarter when you're not in sync with the market, or you know, there may be too early on an idea. And a lot of what we saw this last year, you know, they're value investors, right? They're, they're they're looking to buy stocks when they're cheap based on fundamentals, and a lot of them are getting into energy. You know, we saw oil. We haven't seen it this cheap since you know '06. Or excuse me, oh eight, oh nine. After it went up to one forty, and now it's down you know, in, the, in the low thirties. And a lot of big investments were made in energy companies and in crude oil. And as we saw, it to fall further. So, you know that that took a lot of their gains out. But yeah, not not a great year for smart money. Um, but again, I'm kind of staying the course and believing they're better positioned than most now uh, for the years coming.
1: Well, yeah, they're they're not always going to be right. Certainly, there's going to be uh, it situations where they're positioning for the future, and that's a, a lot of times uh, when things are falling, I mean, and obviously if everybody could predict that, it wouldn't be it it would be a racket, not a market
2: <laughs> Yeah and you know, a, a good example to look at, you know, if you look at 2008, we saw something very similar, right, a lot of these guys, the market lost, you know, whatever it was uh, 30%, 35% or something that year, a lot of these guys lost even more losing 40 and 50%, but in 2009, they did better than the market and the reason was You know, banks, as we saw in 2008, just got demolished. Some of the big names went under. And they're seeing opportunity, and they're buying them. Now, they happen to buy them maybe three months, six months too early. But they were well-positioned when that market turned around. So I'm seeing a lot of the same stuff in energy where, you know, Carl Icahn picked up a huge position in Schneer Energy, LNG, and he's down like 40% on it. So it was a good deal where he bought it. It's a better deal now. You just showed up a little early to the party, but you know what I want to see is are they abandoning these ideas or are they staying with them? Right? You and I both know you can buy a stock, have a great outlook on the fundamentals. Things don't work out like you thought. The company starts to suffer, and you dump the position. But if you don't, and instead you keep buying as it gets cheaper and cheaper, that to me shows conviction. You still have belief in that idea. Your original hypothesis still holds. Um, And so I just see, I've got an opportunity to buy alongside Buffett at prices better than he got. So it's really just a better opportunity to look in long term.
1: Well, so I guess the big question is, you know, there's been a lot, uh, it's been a a very active uh, beginning to 2016, a lot of uh, news worldwide, uh, and uh, markets are reacting uh, unfavorably, at least the stock markets, but what are, what, you, what are they positioning for? What do you see the trend that they're looking for in 2016?
2: Well, two big things I've seen. Um, one, I mean, what we've seen the last few days, you know, look, it's the worst first week of the market since 91. It's been terrible. We know that. It's not a situation to panic, you know. What we're really seeing, we're seeing a reaction to China. That market's not mature. It's mostly, you know, day traders at home on their laptops. Um, and we're just reacting to that. You know, if you look at the big picture, we're really down three and a half, four percent on the year. And I think you would agree with me if you can't stand five or ten percent swings in the market, you really shouldn't be investing. So, hopefully, people aren't letting this scare them. The trend I'm seeing is a shift from growth to value. Okay, if we look at 2015, the market was essentially flat, give or take a couple percent. But There were some big names. I mean, Netflix sort of doubled. Amazon grew immensely. Google had a fantastic year. These are all companies, you know, producing 50, 100, 150% gains. Meanwhile, the energy stocks took huge losses and kind of offset that. But it's interesting because, you know, if you look at, say, a Netflix, right? I like to judge companies based on what they're earning. Okay, what am I getting for my investment dollars? You've got a Netflix out here trading at, you know, 300 times earnings meanwhile you've got apples and i b m s and General Motors trading it you know ten times twelve times earnings, and so when you look at this horrible opening week we've had the stocks like Netflix and like Tesla and like Amazon and the kind of high growth higher earnings multiple more speculative companies have taken bigger hits than the market and when you compare those to you know Walmart to apple um to your more traditional value plays, they haven't taken anywhere near as large of a hit. So it looks to me like we're seeing institutional smart money shifting out of those more speculative, you know, hot, sexy 2015 stocks and into the better values, the, the, the better fundamentals and lower earnings markets.
1: So, yeah. So what you're saying is that there's a, there's certain uh, areas of the market that look like they've been high flyers, but they, they're potentially bound for a fall. They're they're just out of whack right now. At where uh, there might be a return to more value based uh, purchasing and and uh, buying. Uh, now, what you mentioned uh, in the notes you sent me that um, you don't see a major market correction because of the money supply being still too loose. Can you expand on that a little bit for
2: our listeners? Yeah, let me. I'm going to nerd out for just a second. I don't want to lose anyone, but. There is there is a statistic in the Federal Reserve, which you are probably with me on hating immensely. They put out a lot of data, and they put out so much data that most people ignore it. But they put out one figure called the NFCI, and it stands for the National Financial Conditions Leverage Subindex. Okay, It's a long, boring name, but essentially what it does is give you a reading with a baseline of zero that can go as low as maybe negative two and as high as four or five. That shows how loose or tight the money supply is, so that means how easy is it to get credit how how much leverage are people using in their investment accounts, how much are people borrowing and when you look at this figure going back um you know to the sixties, every single and i'm not missing any every single major market correction when I say major, i mean anything of you know fifteen percent or more um was prefaced by this indicator being above 1, meaning money supply is getting tight. Anytime it's been below 1, especially below 0, negative, meaning the money supply is loose, we've never seen a major market correction. And so right now, this number comes out each week, I think it's at like negative 0.55, negative 0.6, nowhere near uh, a tight money supply. So If we get a major correction, it will be the first time in 60 years this has happened. I don't see it. It's just, it's almost impossible for the market to crash that much um, when the money supply is so loose. And so that's one of the biggest things I keep an eye on. I don't hear a lot of people talking about it, but if you go back and look this stuff up, you could go to the, you just Google uh, like Chicago Fed NFCI, you can find it, you can download all the data. And if you're you know you know some basic excel skills kind of plot that out over top of a chart of you know the s and p five hundred the Dow, you'll see the market is never corrected when the money supply is loose, and that's still worth standing today
1: give us a little bit of insight as to the logic behind that, Russ I understand that yeah, there's a lot of money that's uh available for deployment for investment, and there's a lot sitting on the sidelines, but there's also been you know, government involvement and keeping interest rates low and pushing people into the market in a in a way that we've never seen before, I don't think, in my lifetime certainly.
2: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean we're we're definitely in unprecedented times, you know, and that's why one of the reasons I don't think the market's overvalued, because people say, oh, last time we were at eighteen times earnings or twenty, whatever. Yeah, but interest rates were at five, six, eight percent but now they're at, you know, half of one percent. Um, you know, the reason the money supply is such an issue Again, it's kind of an all-encompassing thing. So, when you have the money supply tightening, um, you know people tend to have less margin in the markets, making less bets. They can borrow money less freely, and so just the flow of capital is less. And when that happens, people tend to suck that of equity investments. When you have excess cash, there's only so many things you can do with it. You know, you and I, and probably most of your listeners, think about sitting on sitting on cash. You know, if we're very well off, maybe we have a million, two million, three million dollars. When you're talking about an institution having excess cash, they're sitting on a few billion dollars. So you can't go to Wells Fargo and put four billion dollars into a checking account. You have to do something with it. So that's why they're buying safe securities, they're buying bonds, they're buying, uh, you know, treasuries, corporate paper, whatever. But it has to be somewhere. It literally cannot sit in cash. And so when you have those conditions, they're always going to be buying something, and that buying pressure and liquidity being pushed into the market just prevents a you know massive sell. at least that's what we've seen for the last you know fifty or sixty years.
1: Sorry, so I think what I hear you saying is that the, there's there's loose money that'll kind of come to the rescue and see the market as an opportunity and buy in if things start to go down. Which would prevent from having a kind of a free fall correction uh is that does that make sense? is that kind of the sum yeah sum it no up?
2: that's exactly what I would agree I mean even a little time you know you look at the 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 uh, what was it black Monday back in October of eighty seven you know it got tight. that that indicator shot up like a week beforehand I mean, it happened in o seven it happened in ninety nine two thousand it happened. The seventy. I mean, every single correction is getting tight. So until we see those conditions, I just don't have real any real fear about a major, you know, thirty forty percent catastrophe type move. hmm. Mm-hmm. That well, that that's great insight. That's very helpful
1: for our listeners to plan for uh, for their 2016 allocations. Now you had a uh, uh, indicated a few picks, and I noticed uh, you were you were high on uh, on. Uh, stocks like Apple and Walmart and Philips 66 and General Motors and Alibaba. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what those what those might have in common if we look at all of those stocks and why they might be uh, the best picks in each of their their uh, their
2: divisions. Sure. Well, you know, the bulk of them, at least all except for Alibaba, really represent that hypothesis of a return from growth to value. Right? If you look at a company like Apple, you know, people want to speculate what their iPhone order is going to be next quarter or this month. When you look at the big picture, you've got the greatest company in the world with the strongest brand loyalty you've ever seen. They got $160 billion sitting on offshore, um, trading it, you know, 11 times forward or current earnings. It's just an absolute monster company. It's trading at $100 a share right now. It's a screaming deal, and it should be worth a minimum of $150, possibly $200, in the next couple of years if they continue their buyback. Same thing with GM. It's trading at, I think, seven times forward earnings. The stock's 31 bucks a share. They're expected to earn $5 next year per share. It's just a screaming deal. Same thing. You know, Phillips 66 is cheap. It was one of Warren Buffett's big picks last year. It's kind of his pick in the energy space. You're getting a cheap company and exposure to energy. Um, Alibaba is one not as cheap on a fundamental basis as the others. But again, it's basically China's version of Amazon. It's an absolute behemoth. It's tougher to value in the traditional sense because they're doing like Amazon did. They're taking all their profits, reinvesting it in the company, into research and development, and growing that database. But You know, think anywhere near Amazon, which they probably will, uh, in the Far East. You know, Amazon's sitting in a position now: forty-nine cents of every dollar spent online is at Amazon, and so that kind of dominance just worth massive amount of money. And Alibaba's finally come down; gotten below its IPO price. I seen a lot of hedge funds buy it, and so I added it to the portfolio. But again, the overall theme of these is kind of getting back to fundamentals. I think the last thing listeners and investors want to do is be stuck holding a portfolio full of last year's winners. It doesn't matter what it did last month, last quarter, last year. A stock can be a great investment at $10 a share and a terrible investment at $50 a share. So they've got to look at the value and what they are getting for their investment dollars.
1: Ross, it's always great to talk with you. You bring great insights, and of course, this is just an,
2: a tip of the iceberg
1: of what our listeners can find out about if they get involved with Wealth Empire and subscribe to your your newsletter and your your information. Uh, tell us about what what does a subscription look like? Where can I our, our listeners find out more about it? And, and, and what oh we yeah,
2: well, we put out so I put, I put out a couple of pieces each week that are hundred percent free. If you go to wealthempire.com, you just there'll be a pop-up. Put in your email address. I put out, um, you know, a, a post on the market in text format every Thursday, and I do one like a video newsletter every Tuesday. Um, if you're interested in 13F, you know, they can read about it there. It's only like a hundred dollars a year. It's a, about a 15 to 20 page monthly newsletter that kind of covers what's going on with top hedge funds. What are they buying? What are they selling? where's the money flowing, and the idea is just to give people, you know, some great ideas. We will, we do give official recommendations in there, particular stocks, particular prices, but, again, it's really just kind of a shooting fish in a barrel type strategy, looking for the absolute top pick of the top managers that so we can get for good prices, and, you know, if we can't make money following the warm Buffett's of the world, it's, 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 I'm not sure if the market we want to be in.
1: No, I agree. I agree and it's it's a brilliant idea that you came up with to to start this uh uh this kind of tracking and uh, it's great stuff it really is. So I encourage our listeners so they can go to uh, wealthempire.com to find out all the details and information and really kind of start start w- seeing what you're putting out and then if they decide they can uh subscribe to 13F. That's great. Um certainly something that uh we the more information we get these days, uh the better we better off we are. So Russ, again, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome back anytime and I hope to talk to you again real soon.
2: Oh, absolutely. Always an honor to be on your show, Bill. Thanks
1: again. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this. So please stay with us.
0: business owners If you came back from lunch and there was a resignation letter on your desk, which employee would you really, really not want it to be from? What are you doing to prevent this from happening? At Exit and Retirement Strategies, we design plans that attract, motivate, and retain key employees. For a free consultation, call Bill Black, the Exit Coach, at 866-370-3774. Call today.
1: Does thinking about what will happen to your business if you're gone keep you awake at night? Will you get the price you need from your business to carry you through retirement? The BEI Network of Exit Planning Professionals is the world's leading advisor network with the power to help business owners transition out of business on their own timeline and terms. Ask your most trusted advisor to create a BEI plan for you or visit us at ExitPlanning.com. That's ExitPlanning.com.